opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Fat Liberation Training, um, an inter excuse me, an interactive training session brought to you by BPI, which is Blind Pride International, and Fat Rose. I'm Anthony Corona, current secretary of BPI, and uh, you might also know me from Pride Connection, our flagship podcast, and or Sunday edition. And we will be having a probably between 40 to 45 minute presentation, which has a few interactive moments. We're not going to worry about raised hands for the interactive moments, but we ask that when um, the facilitators, either Destiny or Jackie, ask for responses that you politely unmute. Um, respond and then mute again and be conscious that others will be doing so too. So if someone goes before you, just politely wait for them to finish. Um, we're really, really proud and, and excited to bring this, this presentation, this training. We think it's going to open up um, a really good set of conversations around the issues that Jackie and Destiny will be speaking about tonight. And so without further ado, one of our newer members, Destiny Dean Mateo, who you probably have also heard on Pride Connection, is going to open it up and introduce Jackie. And I'll be back later on. Enjoy, everyone. Thank you, Anthony. And everyone, um, you got, I, got, I guess I may, might have sent it to you wrong. It's Destiny to Maddie. It doesn't have an O at the end, but thank you. It's um, glad to meet you all. And um yeah, this training has been a collaboration with Jackie oh, and I from me. Fat Rose, and I'll let Jackie get us started for the intro. Great. Thanks, Destiny and Anthony, and thanks, everyone, for being here. Really excited to be um, sharing this information with everyone and excited to hear all of your thoughts as well. Um, so we'll begin by sharing kind of the goals for this workshop. Um, we're hoping that folks will understand Fat Liberation as a movement. So fat liberation is different than body positivity or self-love or body neutrality. Those movements are also really interesting and important, and we'll mention a bit about them, but we're really going to focus on fat liberation um, and how it can be linked to other movements for liberation. Another goal is to reshape assumptions about fatness. So we're going to spend some time busting myths together about fat and fatness. We're also going to draw connections between fat liberation and other movements. So this will be an intersectional approach focusing on solidarity. We're also hoping that folks will understand that fat oppression is part of Black genocide. And this builds on Deshaun Harris's thesis. Their work is really pivotal to us understanding that anti-Blackness is part of fat oppression. So we're really indebted to um, Deshaun's work um, for a lot of this presentation. Another goal is that we find ways to apply this conversation about fat liberation into our daily lives, into the ways that we interact with one another, with folks of all sizes. And beyond our daily lives, interrogating how diet culture and weight stigma show up in relationships with one another. So now that we have a sense of the goals of where we're headed, we're going to do a brief intro um, about ourselves. So I'm going to pass it to Destiny so that they can introduce themselves and share a bit about their personal journey to understanding fat liberation. Hi, so this is Destiny. I'm pronouns they and them or she, her. So I, my journey to fat liberation started out many, a few years ago with um, 
a triggering weight stigmatizing conversations with family and I reached out to a trauma group, like telling, you know, people that I was being triggered and they recommended me reading Body Positive Power by Megan Jane Crabb. You can find that on Bookshare. Um, And although I didn't find that all of it applied to my life, it did introduce the Poodle Science video um, and health at every size. Um, from there, I found out about ASDA, the Association for Science of Their Student Health, the She's All Fat podcast, NAFA, the National Association for Advancing Fat Acceptance, um, and eventually Fat Rose, along with other supports and podcasts along the way. Um, when I first started out, I was mainly interested in body positivity and health at every size. As time went on, I got more involved with fat liberation and still have used the terms health at every size for, you know, healthcare, but body positivity I've learned has been co-opted a lot. So I've moved a little bit away from that. So that's my little story. I'll pass it down back to Jackie for her intro. Thanks, Destiny. So um, my story has a lot of similar themes. So I'll start by saying my name is Jackie. My pronouns are she and her. Um, And I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa, and I'm now living in Chicago. But while I was in Cape Town, I was really surrounded by family members who were invested in chronic dieting. And this was not kind of uh, malicious. There wasn't a lot of overt food policing or body comments, but I was really raised with the idea that fat equals bad and thin equals good. Um, And I spent a lot of my uh, childhood and teenagehood and early adulthood really interested in diet culture and 20 I discovered invested in hitting my options um was fat liberation I pop up saying my so in to embed fat politics on the Uh oh. Hi, so I'm not sure what's going on. Um, I know we're having a bad thunderstorm and you're going in and out. Did I just hear Jackie drop off? Yes. I I was wondering if it was something on my end, but apparently not. And I was as well, so I wasn't going to say anything until you did, Anthony. But yeah, she was um, kind of breaking in and out. So I I don't know. 
Yeah. All right, Destiny, can you go on to the first section and then Jackie, when if yes. you want to get back on? Okay. Yep. Okay, so um, I'm going to go to the grounding and, and history and values. Um, oh, hold on. I think I just got from there. Okay. She'll be joining in one second. Um, so mine. Okay. We thank everybody for their patience. If you're thank listening you, out in CP Media Land, we will be resuming in a moment or two. Just stay with us. Okay. This is an overview, a short taste. We can't cover everything. So consider this an invitation to future learning. We can, we have, can share additional resources in our email after the session if Hello. folks have questions. Or here, if you want further reading, here are some fundamental texts. Landwell by Jess Baker, available from the Library for the Blind and on Bard, as well as Bookshare. Fearing the Black Body, the Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings, available on Bookshare. Fat and Queer Anthology Series, Available on Bookshare. Hope we're hoping to get Belly of the Beast, the racial um, sorry, Belly of the Beast, the history of anti-fatness as anti-blackness on um bookshare or bard, but that hasn't happened yet. But you can get it on Kindle or Audible for extra cost. This is Jackie. Hi, folks. I'm so sorry my Zoom kicked me out for a sec. I think my Wi-Fi was having some issues. Um, Destiny, will you fill me in on what I missed? Yeah, I just went down to the um, groundings and history and values because I wasn't really sure where you left off. So if you want to, I did the intro and the recommended text. If you want to pick up there, um, we can do that. Okay, great. So I will jump back in with the piece below that with a history of anti-fatness. Um, so first, what's important to understand is that anti-fatness and anti-blackness are really entwined. So white supremacy is a really key theme in a lot of the fat phobia that we see. And we learn this in Sabrina String's work. She writes that fatness is used as a way to create racial difference. So it's been really vital to the institutions of the slave trade and of white supremacy. And this is because black bodies were constructed by white supremacists as large or gluttonous or excessive. And people who were uh, white people who were encountering black people for the first time were writing about them as though they were driven by bodily desires like hunger and lust rather than seeing them as fellow human beings. Um, and similarly, these writers were describing white bodies as more temperate or controlled. And the, the reason for this differentiation in size was to differentiate between 
people of different races and to set them up in a kind of hierarchy. And this is also written about in Deshaun Harris's piece that I, sorry, Harrison's piece that I mentioned earlier, that anti-fatness is really a part of anti-Black genocide. One example that we see of this is described in Sabrina String's book, and that is the exploitation of a woman named Sarah Bartman. She was an indigenous Khoikhoi woman from South Africa. And what happened to her is that um, white colonialists saw her body and saw that she had a large body and large buttocks. And she was taken from Africa to Europe and displayed as a fascination in zoos and in so-called freak shows in Europe in the early 1800s. Um, and this is, of course, really heavy to hear. It's pretty dehumanizing. Um, and what's even worse is that her body was um, preserved after she died, and parts of her body were still on display in France until as late as 2002. And only then were they returned to South Africa and given a proper burial. So what was happening in this really grotesque situation is that the body was used by white scientists to make the argument that black bodies were somehow extra hypersexual. Their largeness indicated um, hunger and lust. Around this time, we're also seeing that fatness was both gendered and racialized. So men were seen as rational with the potential to exercise self-control over their desires, and women were seen as emotional and at the mercy of their desires. So similarly, white Europeans were seen as supposedly more rational and more controlled than Black Africans. And Black Africans were supposedly more in touch with their bodily desires, eating more, having more sex. All of this is heavy, heavy air quotes. And this was used as evidence that Africans were so-called less intelligent than Europeans. And these racist, sexist, fatphobic stereotypes are still really present in our culture. And they manifest today in what is known as obesity discourse. And I want to say a quick note about obesity and obese. These O words are considered slurs by the fat liberation community. So we'll only use the actual words when we're quoting someone um, because they can be pretty harmful and they're created by really arbitrary medical standards. Um, and so instead, we'll just say the term O-slur rather than saying obesity or obese moving forward. So this O-slur discourse has really become the dominant way of understanding fatness in this country. It oversimplifies the diversity of bodies and the reason for the diversity of bodies. It kind of explains that all fatness is a disease and it must be cured. It doesn't take into account the fact that people just have different bodies for a bunch of different reasons. And we'll get into that later. And this Oslo discourse is impossible to separate from fat phobia, but because it has this kind of medical and scientific discourse, it acquires this kind of untouchable status of so-called objective truth. And we see this on the individual level. So when people say, I have nothing against fat people, I'm just concerned about their health. That fat phobia is masked by this insidious conflation of thinness and health and fatness with disease. And we'll talk a little bit more about how those are false conflations when we get to our Mythbusters section. But first, I know I've done a, a lot of uh, doom and gloom, and I'm going to pass it to Destiny, who will tell us a bit about the history of fat liberation. Okay, cool. So, um, there you go. 
NAFA was founded in 1969 by Bill Fabry in Rochester, New York, as the Association, uh, National Association to Aid Fat Americans Focus, Fat Appreciation. Membership was largely cishet men and partners. 1972, NAFA chapters. Um, national tension with more radical groups wanting civil life. I mean, sorry, wanting civil rights, not heterosexual meat markets. Um, this was the founding by of the Fat Underground by Jewish lesbians, Jewish Judy Free Spirit, and Sarah Fishman. Then Ald um, Alderman took issue with what they saw as a growing bias um, against fatness in the scientific community. They coined the saying, diets is a cure for that doesn't work for a disease that doesn't exist. That, um, that was from the Fat Liberation Manifesto, which was published in 1973. There's no mention of self-love. It's all about systemic oppression. It is still working in different iterations to this day. And um, to this day, including Fat Rose, Fat Liberation emerged in the US in the 1970s in relationship with other liberation movements. Today, body positivity is celebrating body size and self-love. People of all sizes use this terms. So algorithms push skinny white women hunched over to make fat rows roles, I mean, and does not highlight black fat women um, discussing systemic oppression. Does not center fattest fats, rather centers small fats closest to conventional attraction. Body neutrality is about just existing in a body without forcing toxic positivity. All right, and I'm turning it back over to Jackie, Jackie for a reflection. Uh, my words today. Thanks, Destiny. Yeah, so we're seeing that there are all these other terms used in this space, body positivity, fat positivity, body neutrality, but the one we're focusing on is fat liberation um, because that really is uh, sort of in tandem with the other liberation movements that grew alongside fat liberation. So we're speaking about systemic changes. But before we get into those, I'd love for us to have a moment of reflection. And this is where we'll ask folks to unmute. Um, we want to offer folks the chance to kind of ground in your own relationship with your body. And this can be really personal, so there's no pressure to share but just reflect on this prompt and come off of mute if you would like to share. 
how did you learn what a good body and a bad body are? And note, there are air quotes around good body and bad body. How did you learn what a good body, a so-called good body, and a so-called bad body are? And how have those learnings affected you? Feel free to come off of mute um, and share your response. All right, I'll kick the party starting. Um, I grew up in a very large Italian family where most of the men played sports or were very physical. And a lot of the women were a little bit bigger, um, especially growing up in New York. And so, you know, growing up, I, it was just part of the, the lexicon of language. Um, fat was thrown around all the time you know, both in fun and tongue in cheek and in arguments. And so, you know, I think osmosis wise, I, I got it before I ever understood. And by the time I was in school and, and dealing with peers that had different body sensitivities, it, it was already ingrained in, in my brain that, you know, if, if you were of a bigger than a certain size, then you were fat. So that was my, my early introduction to it. This is Jackie. Thank you so much for that reflection, Anthony. Would anyone else like to respond to the prompt? I can share mine a little bit if that would be helpful for you all, um, just to get a little bit in here. So my first um, was growing up, there was a lot of things in media. And then as I got older into like, like before puberty, like I started hearing more messages around my body and um, I didn't remember a time where I wasn't fat, but looking back at pictures, it, um, I think it might've started a few years before puberty, but you know, a lot of it came from family, school teachers. It came from everywhere at that point. But even before those things, a lot of it was in media. Hi, this is DJ. Um, I can remember and uh, just to echo uh, what the um, previous caller just said too. A lot of when I grew up had to be circulated around media, magazines that showed. Uh, young men, young women with uh, either small or petite or what would be termed as quote unquote skinny bodies, uh, you know, and it, it was sort of like the thing that if, if you were skinny, you were more in, if you were dubbed as fat, you were uh, either ostracized or um, you were uh, anything other than less than human. Um, in growing up, there were family members that I do remember that were uh, large inside. I wouldn't, I wouldn't term them as fat. They were just large in size. And then, yet, there were other family members who were um, in between. Uh, or, 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 you know, not so large, but they weren't that small. Me, myself, in growing up, um, I was no, I was 
termed as, quote, husky, unquote. Yeah, um, and, and that was because of my size and evidently, apparently my height being short was not in sync with my body size. Um, but I was never, I was never treated any different. Um, yet as a black man growing up in the uh, 60s and 70s and seeing the oppression uh, that lies from within, um, and, and as you said before earlier, still in some cases is going on today. Um, I, you know, remember even then of uh, going through the quote unquote black power movement and what have you and, and being empowerment. So I think today uh, this call uh, will, will bring about a sense of empowerment for all people, especially those who are considered, and I will use this in quotes as fat, or, or, or for those who are uh, seemingly oppressed and still feel that oppression. And hopefully by this call, we can learn something and then be able to find the solution and what have you. Because at the end of the day, we all come from the same creation and we ought to be able to accept each other for who and for what we are. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you so much for sharing. This is Jackie. Yes, echoing these thanks for not only sharing your story, but also for this call to see all, all humans, all the people on this call and beyond as deserving of respect and dignity and liberation. Thank you so much for naming that, DJ. In the interest of time, I'm going to keep us moving, but thank you so much for those reflections. Next, You're I'm going to yeah. Next, I'm going to hand it to Destiny to talk us through um, some myths, and we're going to bust them. Yes, cool. So, first myth in this myth myth busting is fat liberation is just another name for body positivity. Though fat liberation and body positivity can overlap, they are two separate movements slash schools of thought. Body positivity emphasizes self-acceptance, self-love. It focuses on the individual. Because it has become more mainstream, it centers straight-sized folks to the exclusion of fat folks while fat liberation can have um, include positivity and self-love, it is much more than that. It is focused on dismantling structural fat phobia and other, inter uh, blah, other intersecting oppressions. Fat liberation fights their access to public space, their competent medical care, and their dignity and justice for fat people of all sizes. All the self-esteem in the world won't make spaces accessible or 
specific systemic fat phobia. Myth, fat is unhealthy. Fat is not inherently in health, unhealthy. In fact, being underweight in many ways is more dangerous than being so-called overweight or obese, both in quotes. A lot of evidence suggests that health problems linked to fatness are actually a result of dieting because dieting puts strain on the body. Recent study found that people who lost 15% or more of their body weight actually had an in um, increased risk of death compared to people of the same weight who did not lose weight. That have even been shown to be a protective factor against a variety of problems, including infections, cancer, heart disease, heart, um, lung disease, heart disease, anemia, high blood pressure, and many others. If you're wondering why you've never heard any of these before, that's because this information doesn't make anyone money. It doesn't support the $63 billion diet industry or the million dollar, multi billion dollar weight loss and surgery industry. Myth that is a bad word. It is true that fat is often used as an insult, but this is because of societal negative associations with fatness. Many fat activists have reclaimed the word fat in the same way that many LGBT folks have reclaimed the word queer. It serves as a personal and political identity. Myths. The BMI is accurate. The BMI is racist and nonsensical. It was first created by, in the 1800s by a Belgian mathematician, not a physician. He produced the formula to give a quick and easy way to measure the degree of, quote, obesity of the general population. Note. Oh, not individuals. To assist the government in allocating resources. It was based on the bodies of Midwestern European men. Weight wasn't considered a primary indicator until the early 20th centuries when American life insurance companies began to compile tables of height and weight for the purposes of determining what to charge prospective policyholders. 
um, physicians adopted these tapes, especially between 1950s and 1970s, and the BMI has been used by doctors ever since. Myth, health is a morally good goal. Health is neither morally good nor bad, is morally neutral. Often, health is lauded as an important personal choice and achieved through certain lifestyle decisions, implying that healthy people are good people. By extension, unhealthy people are considered bad people. And some people, in, um, in some cases, people experiencing illness are seen as deserving of their health circumstances. Health is affected by a myriad of factors. Access to care, affordable, varieties of food, stressors, genetics, proximity to toxic environments. It is rarely closely, closely in control. And it's not always a marker of choices and not a marker of morals. Myth, fat people all have eating disorders, eat poorly, and don't exercise. No study has ever supported this conclusion. You cannot tell anything about person's eating habits or fitness relative health just by looking at them or by their size. People of all different sizes have all different habits. A quick survey of your friends and relatives would show just that. Myth, weight loss is a healthy goal, deserving of promotion. Intentional weight loss does not work 97% of diets don't work, and they actually cause harm. Intentional weight loss wreaks havoc on the body, infecting everything from the immune system to the cardiovascular system to stamina and mental health, to stress levels, to body image. Myth, promoting fat acceptance makes people fat. No studies have ever shown that either. Approving your body and loving your body causes and, um, In fact, health at every size practices which include body acceptance and actually make people healthier. Importantly, though we shame fat people has led to an exponential, has led to exponential discrimination against people in the workplace, in medical care and education. Okay, now 
Um, I'm turning it over to Jackie for Four Eyes of Oppression. Thanks, Destiny. This is Jackie. Um, so we've learned about some of these myths that we may have heard in society. I know I certainly heard them growing up. And it's possible to put them in this framework of the four eyes of oppression. So I'll start by saying that this is a framework that has been developed and refined by many generations of activists of many identities. So Fat Rose does not claim credit for it, um, but we want to offer it through the perspective of Fat Liberation. So the first of the four eyes is ideological. So this is the idea that one group is somehow more normal, more deserving or better or more moral than other groups. And the way we see this is through pervasive ideological fatphobia. So in popular culture, seeing that it is seen as morally good to be thin and therefore healthy, even though we've now learned that there's the, the myth that thinness means health. Um, another ideological moment of fat oppression is seen in the kind of moral panic around fatness, that fat liberation or body positivity is somehow convincing people to gain weight um, and that that's a so-called negative thing. The second I in this framework is institutional or infrastructural. So this is the ways that the bias in the first I become embedded in institutions of society. So that shows up in the ways that fat people try to access medical care, um, but doctors will often say, I refuse to perform this surgery that you need until you lose weight. Or you go into a doctor's office and um, the doctor says, okay, I recommend that you lose weight, even though your problem is not weight related, maybe you broke your arm. <laughs> and then people break their arms too, but the doctor will treat their broken arm rather than uh, commenting on the size of their body. So medical care is a big um, area of institutional oppression, um, but there's also the workplace. Um, fat people are less likely to be hired than their thin counterparts. Um, their paychecks are likely to be smaller than their thin counterparts. And there's also education bias. Teachers treat students differently based on size. This is also seen in the institution of policing. We know how problematic um, police departments can be when they are um, deeply racist and enact harm on black people. Um, but we've seen in the murder of so many black men in recent years, especially that police target fat black people and other fat people of color. So other infrastructural ways that fat phobia shows up are in exclusionary seating. So fat exclusionary bathrooms and hallways and entrances and elevators and so many different types of furniture design and engineering. All of this is saying fat people should not be in public. They should stay in their homes. The clothing industry also does not allow for fat folks. It is very rare that a person who is fat can go to the mall or to any standard clothing store and find a size that works for them. Um, often they will need to shop online or, you know, have to pay more for a more um, sustainable option, whereas our thin counterparts have many more options in the clothing industry. So these are all of the different examples of institutional oppression. So we've got first ideological, second institutional or infrastructural, and the third one is interpersonal. So that is the ways that individual interpersonal interactions between people 
reflect these ideas. So these could be body comments from strangers or diet culture in the office. Someone saying, oh, I couldn't possibly eat that cupcake. I'll get too fat. Or family members saying, do you really want that second plate of food? I just care about your health. That's called concern trolling. Um, it could also be online harassment or fetishizing of fat people. Um, it could be a stranger in the grocery store taking the ice cream out of your cart and instead putting something so-called healthier in there, as if a fat person can't make decisions about what they want to eat. So that's the third eye, interpersonal. And the fourth eye, internalized. Those are the ways that marginalized people or groups take in those messages that are around them, that are communicated by ideology, institutions, and interpersonal interactions. So internalized oppression can look like body hate or body loathing, or avoiding staring in a mirror, avoiding being in photos, or believing that love and confidence is the answer, but still wanting to be thinner, or thinking that all of your life goals can only fall into place once you are thin. And this internalized oppression can lead to the de development of eating disorders, disordered eating, and body harm even in the pursuit of thinness. And what we're gonna do next is look at the ways in which these four eyes of oppression show up through different examples. So we will each read an example and feel free to come off of mute and tell us where you think this example falls in ideological, institutional, interpersonal, or internalized. So I'll read the first one and feel free to unmute to, to say what you think. First scenario. Imani has started a new TV show, started watching a new TV show. In it, there's a fat character who acts as the comedic relief. Many of the jokes are focused on their weight and physical abilities. The other characters do not have jokes based on their weight. Where do you think this example falls? Come on, folks, you're not getting graded. <laughs> Who's got an idea? This is Jackie. I'll jump in with a hint that Anthony's right. There's actually no right answer. Many of these examples can fall in all four of the eyes of oppression at the same time. So feel free to take a guess. Um, at what you think the answer could be, because there is no wrong answer. It's about unpacking what the four eyes are. So this example of someone watching a fat character on TV, and this fat character is the comedic relief, but the thin characters do not have jokes based on their weight. Where could this fall? So I'll jump in just to help kickstart it again. Um, you know, I, I think it falls under... It, or let me rephrase that. I think it could be applied to um, all of them, but I'll take number three. Um, and and I, I say that because you you read within the example that the the bigger the fat character is the only one that has size jokes written for them or you know or about them, um, whereas the other characters you know are participating in those jokes or those gags um and obviously the character itself is participating in them where it's not equally balanced across the cast 
All right, folks, come on. You guys can unmute and tell us what you think. I know this was an example. Um, I don't want to jump in because I'm helping facilitate it, but I guess if no one else wants to, I'll just say um, I see this a lot in ideological. It's one of the, the stereotypes or the things that are just ingrained in our society. Uh, this is DJ again. Um, when I look at the description of uh, when I look at the description of what you just described there, the the one word that comes to mind for me is isolation. Um, you know, um, it's sort of like the fat individual is sort of like isolated or picked on or something like that there, um, you know, to draw attention to his size. Um, and that, that, that just, that word isolation kind of resonates with me when I, when I look at this comparison between the two. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much for sharing. This is Jackie again. I'm sorry, my Wi-Fi kicked me off the call briefly, so I didn't hear your whole comment, DJ, but thank you for sharing. Um, I'd love to move us to the next example in the interest of time. So here's the next scenario. Culturally, the language of weight loss is normalized through violent terms, burning fat, the war against obesity or the O-slur, the battle of weight loss, you shred a workout at the gym, getting a ripped body, all of this violent language. Which of the four eyes could this fall into? This is DJ again. I would almost be, I would almost be, um, reserved to say it would be a combination of all of them. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't single out anyone, but um, to combine all of them together, you know, sort of would it would be where I would look at that. And like I said, it could be wrong, but like I said, there's no right or wrong answer. But uh, that, that's to me where I would, um, where I would term it. So thanks a bunch. This is Jackie. Thank you so much for sharing, DJ. I'm going to pass it to Destiny, who will share the next scenario so we can guess which of the four eyes it falls under. 
Cool. Here we go. So, Alia goes to the doctor for a particular complaint unrelated to their weight. They ask the weight doctor, not I mean the nurse, not to weigh them. But the weights, the nurse asks them to step on the scale anyway. When the dollar, I mean, when the doctor meets with Alia, the dollar, um, doctor um, recommends weight loss without addressing the problem Alia brought to them. And uh, that's the scenario. Who wants to guess? Destiny, did we lose you, honey? Did you hear me at all? Did you hear any of it? <laughs> you got muted at some point midway. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, so basically, the scenario was Alia goes to the doctor's office without, um, you know, asked not to be weighed. The nurse ask them to step on the scale anyway was there for a particular complaint the doctor ignores the complaint and recommends weight loss and the question is which one of the four eyes do you all think it is so uh who wants to answer the question hi this is eva how you doing um to me definitely the institutional i i think it was called institutionalized because it seems like the doctor all had already had pre preconceived notions when he, um, he or she, I'm not sure if he or me or she not, um, but, you know, when they look at you and they see the weight, they, that's what they see. They don't see the other things. That becomes the issue right then and there. So that's what I get from it. I could be wrong. You're right on the money. This is DJ, and I can sort of kind of echo what Ava just said. Um, it's amazing to me what one perceives when it comes to the eye gate, when it comes to what one sees. And when it comes to what they see, more times than not, they base their fact and everything on just that, the eye gate. They, like uh, Ava just said, they don't see the person. You know, barely do they make it invest it's uh, on a piece of paper or something like that would recognize or acknowledge their name. And they, all they see is what the eye gate presents them. And so, and I even think that that's one, one thing about being blind and i can say for myself about being totally blind now as opposed to when i was sighted is an advantage in my favor because i don't concern myself about what a person looks like 
I just take them for who they are. Awesome. I will give one more scenario before I pass it to Jackie in the interest of time. So the next scenario is two children were adopted from foster care by a loving family, um, adopted out of foster family. The pa parents work hard to take care of the children who become fat as they become teenagers. The foster system de um, declares the parents unfit because of this, because of this weight gain and the inability to help the kids lose weight. It and takes the children out of this family and puts them back into the foster care system. Um, and what which of the four eyes does this fall under? Well, I don't want to answer all of them, but, um, you know, like, like we said at the beginning of, of this part of it, you know, all of them, you know, all four of them are, are part of this, but, um, I, I think two and three, just a little bit more prominently, me personally. All right, come on folks. TJ, what do you think? Okay, here's DJ. Um, I don't know whether there, there, there is an I word, and I don't know whether this was even used or not, but um, ignorance a lot of times takes precedent here on this, on this note. And why I say ignorance is because um, of the lack of acceptance. You have two children that are adopted and or or that are, are coming into what is seemingly seemingly a loving home, yet and still one child takes precedent over the other could be a case there. And, and when you even I can remember as a child growing up, I'm just using this as me as an example, might be getting away from it a little bit, but I can remember as a child growing, growing up, um, I stayed, lived with my cousins for the most part. Though they were my cousins, they were not my siblings. And because they were not my siblings, it was sort of like I was treated differently than those others by the siblings themselves, not so much by their parents. Okay, so so a lot of that systemic stuff that we see that's going on now, prevalent right now, is 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 due to the facts of I would agree with all of them, three mostly to me, but like I said, ignorance for me, because sometimes when we look at situations, 
we, when you look at that word ignorance, look at the root word, we ignore. We tend to ignore what is the reality of a situation and create something else to divert what is, you know, reality. So that's my take on it. Thank you. This is Jackie. Thanks so much for adding an additional eye. It's really cool to build on these frameworks in person. They're not just, you know, um, theory floating in the sky. They're like in our lived experiences. So I really appreciate you um, sharing your childhood experience with us, DJ. Um, I'll add a brief comment that um, for me, when I think of this example of children um, being adopted out of foster care, um, but then because they're gaining weight, the foster system sees it as abuse. It, it equates fatness with like bad morals. The, the parents could be an amazingly loving and wonderful, but the institution of the foster system sees fatness as bad. And therefore the institution and the interpersonal interactions between the social worker and the parents is, is led by fat phobia. Um, we had a couple more examples, but I'm wondering if in the interest of time, Destiny, we just do one or two instead of all of them. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I think you take one from yours. I'll take one from mine, my remaining, and we'll do it like that. That sounds great. Thanks, Destiny. This is Jackie again. So I am going to read the next example. Um, all right, here we go. Dakota is at a family gathering that involves food. They go to make a plate for themselves and a family member watches. And then the family member says, are you really going to eat all that? Which eye do you think that could be? Okay, this is Eva, and I found this funny because, and it's not funny, and I'm just going to put the word irate because this happened to me, and this happened to me at work, and I had two frozen burritos for lunch, and this guy comes up to me and says, you can eat both of those, and I'm thinking, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I felt, and for a moment, I felt embarrassed, like I wasn't supposed to eat that much at lunchtime, and um. You know, I don't have words to explain how I felt at that time. And, you know, I guess this probably for me is a hard topic to talk about because, you know, people just say things to you and they don't even think about how it could hurt you. And um, that really hurt me that day. It's just really like when I think about it now, it's funny, but it wasn't funny then. I was really kind of embarrassed because I'm thinking, oh, what was wrong with what I was eating? Um, that's all I have to say. I'm just—it's kind of bought that that memory to me. So sorry I didn't answer your question. I just had a flashback. Oh, the memory. Yeah. There's no apology necessary. Oh, sorry, Destiny. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just about to say no apology necessary. Like, and that it's absolutely understandable. Like, that's an example of interpersonal, you know, like 
stigma about your eating habits and all that. This is Jackie. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that you had that experience, Ava. I can relate to it myself. Um, and I think Destiny's right that it's an example of interpersonal um, fat phobia or um, weight stigma because someone could honestly be any size, but people love to comment on what each other are, what one another are eating when really it's a, it's totally up to that individual person. We know what our bodies need. We know if we're hungry or not. Um, and it's not up to anyone else to tell us what we can or can't or so-called should or shouldn't eat. Destiny, I'll pass it to you for our final um, scenario. Jackie, yes. before you, before you do that, Jackie um, and Destiny, I think that the one word comes to mind in that scenario would be insult. Insult. You know, because the person, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, go with the young lady. That I can imagine how she might have felt insulted by someone making a, to me, what would be a derogatory comment. I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, so what? It, what business is it of yours that I, I'm going to eat all that, you know? <laughs> you know, so I was looking at it as just plain old insult. This is Jackie. I completely agree. I think it's so insulting when other people choose to comment on something as innocuous, as simple as just trying to, trying to eat a meal. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. The final example we have is Tiffany. For years, they have been told that their weight has been a I mean, her weight has been a problem. Um, she, years ago, she discovered fat positivity online. She starts seeing her fat as beautiful and posts selfies when she feels about great about her appearance. She also makes TikToks about glorifying, quote, obesity, reclaiming this phrase from naysayers and leaning into self-love. All right. So which one of the four eyes is that? I'll just. This is DJ again. This is another scenario where, to me, it would be all of the above. That's what I was thinking. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm like, if anybody, in a, and I think that the, 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 the thing that we have to learn how to you know 
to be better at is being careful how we pass judgment. And I guess you would use the word prejudice because we prejudge before we actually find out the actual truth behind why a person does what they do or why a person is who they are, you know? So when I look at it from that point of view, to me, it is all of the above. All right, Jackie, where do we go next? All right, this is Jackie. Thank you so much for your thoughts on these scenarios, folks. Um, so our next piece kind of on the agenda was to talk through how fat liberation intersects with other experiences in our lives. How does um, weight stigma and fat phobia intersect with racism or ableism or classism? Um, but we wanted to kind of turn that into a discussion as a group. So perhaps this is a moment for folks to ask questions or to make comments. I know we're past our 45 minute kind of presentation time. So maybe we can turn it to these general questions about fat liberations intersections with anti-racism um with other liberatory movements destiny would you like to ask those questions yes so um now that we've split this into quadrants what intersections do we see between fat liberation and um other movements such as race um anti-racism lgbt community um what's my spot um, and then after that, okay. This is DJ. I think if I had to sum it up in one word, it would be, well, three words. It would be a lack of acceptance. That's what I would sum up in three words, the lack of acceptance there you go this is jackie yeah thank you dj so many people um believe that they are you know kind and loving people but as soon as it comes to someone who is different in a way that they don't like or don't even realize they like it could be internalized despite it could be internalized bias um yeah, they, they lean into their ignorance rather than seeking to understand. So a couple of examples that people shared made me think of um, different intersections. So um, Ava, your example of your um, co-worker's comment in the workplace made me think of the overlaps of commenting on food and also kind of classism in the workplace like why would a co-worker think it was okay to to say that sort of thing but I'm also thinking about um you know LGBTQ examples one of the scenarios that we had listed was um someone who is um trying to find clothing in their size um but they're not able to um, because all of the clothing that is catered towards 
um, fat people is usually for women or for femme folks. So the person who's looking for clothing for mask folks, for masculine folks, or for fat men can really struggle with that. There aren't as many options for them in stores and online. And so there the intersection would be stigma against fat people and stigma against queer people who are trying to um, find gender-affirming clothing. Can anyone think of other intersections? I can jump on the LGBTQ. I read a fascinating article um, maybe two years ago that spoke about whenever, um, and there were very few of them, but whenever there was um, transgender slash cross-dresser slash drag queen representation um, in the media, especially in the 70s and 80s, they were always bigger people. Um, and that was, you know, somewhat, it was like the unwritten, you know, if a beautiful drag queen, you know, statuesque came in, they were not going to get cast no matter what, because it, it lessened the the appeal of the character for, you know, the masses and, and kept that comical, um, it, 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 I, I could find it somewhere, you know, if anybody ever wants to read it, but it was, it was a fascinating article about how calculated it was. Um, they would only hire very effeminate men for certain, um, quote unquote, gay portrayals because they didn't want, they didn't want, you know, positive represent, representation. This is Jackie. That's so interesting. Um, it also really makes me think of um, online dating um, sites. Like, I don't know if anyone has heard this awful phrase, no fats, no femmes, no blacks, no Asians. And that's yep. like a whole smorgasbord of awful bigoted comments. So that is people saying, I refuse to date anyone who is fat, who is a feminine man, who is black or who is Asian. Um, and that's just so much bigotry all in, all in one message. So that shows up in the dating scene with lots of intersecting oppressions in one space. There was, you know, and not to be so media centric, but there was a great episode of Roseanne at one point where, you know, she kind of went off the deep end um, about her weight and, and how everybody assumes she's sloppy. Everybody assumes she's lazy and stupid because of the way she looks. And, and I remember, you know, I was young at that when, when that episode aired for the first time. And I remember, you know, crying actually, because it was, wow, you know, somebody, I never thought somebody would feel that way. I was, you know, I was little at that point, but it's another one, you know, if a woman is bigger and, you know, and is a little bit harried because she's got three kids, she's lazy and doesn't care about her appearance, doesn't care about her health. It's very sad. Um, you know, and then in movies, you only, you know, again, with media, you only see us, you know, fat people portrayed as the funny Either the funny people, the comedic relief, or like the best friend who's like there for you when no one else isn't, and like, or or obsessed with their appearance, or like sometimes if they're not, you you see them mainly eating, you know. Um, another intersection is disability. You know, as disabled people, um, at least for myself, I've been inf infantilized a lot and condescended to, and 
you know, fat people are assumed to not have nutritional education, not don't know how to be healthy. So we got to educate them, like all that stuff. So that's an, an intersection I see as well. This is DJ again. Um, you know, when I, I was just brought to the uh, remembrance and I was watching that program just the other night, as a matter of fact, remember the old TV sitcom, What's Happening with Rerun and Mama. Yeah. So here's, here's a situation where you have the mom who was looked at as fat and mm-hmm. the son, Roger, and the daughter, Dee, were not that fat. Then you have this character called Riron, who was fat, but he was just he was depicted as stupid, yep. and he was also depicted as funny, funny for the you know lines that he may have made, and yet stupid. Hence his nickname, Rerun, because of his uh, you know failure to. Uh, be promoted in school and, and what have you. Uh, here's this 21-year-old, he's still in high school kind of situation. Um, puts like a stigma on not only both fat people, but also blacks as well. You know, and, and, and the thought hits me as I'm even remembering this, what would have, what would it have been like had those roles had those roles been played by whites, the mother being white, the daughter and son being white, Dwayne, he was small, but he's white, and Rerun being white. What would it what would it have seemed like had that been in that scenario? Chances are that would not have been a sitcom that would have gone very far only because of the fact that this, that the, uh, the systemic images that run across the screen is what is accepted by the quote unquote status quo. You know, and DJ, and you can go even a little bit further in that, because if you look at rerun, you know, you said you had sight. I also had sight. You know, they mm-hmm. were, they dressed him ridiculously. They did. You know, and they Roger, did. Roger had glasses. He was thin. He most he of the time thin. wore a button up shirt. You know, yeah. so it was also stereotyping just by the way they presented, you know, the, the backdrop of what the character yeah. is too. Yeah. yeah. And, and Roger was like the nerdy kid. D was like the smart alecky kid, you know, yeah. uh, that, you know, was just it, it was just and then and then there was Dwayne. He was like he just was like the tag along. You know what I'm saying? In in yep. in, in that particular and then you can switch over to good times where you had the mother as being uh big in size or fat and then look everybody else was like skinnier normal size and whatnot. Again, you know, the systemic um 
idolization of if you're thin, you're in. If you're fat, get back, you know. And even, I mean, we came up with an expression, or we grew up with an expression uh, when I was a kid. If you're white, you're right. If you're black, get back, you know. So it's that same same sort of cross-section um, situation where naivety is one thing when it comes to you just not knowing. Ignorance is totally different. You know it, but you choose to uh, you, you choose to acknowledge it. This is Jackie. I find it so interesting, this distinction that you draw, DJ, um, between kind of ignorance and I'm forgetting the first word you use. I'm sorry, my brain's a little um, brain foggy today. Um, but that there's this, like, people sometimes claim, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that what I was saying was insulting. Um, like if, if someone says, oh, it's just my preference to be with thin people or I'm just on my weight loss journey because I prefer to be thin and people don't aren't always able to interrogate what those reasons are and I think it goes to the the society's preference for thinness um, as we see in the example of the characters that you're describing um, I'm also thinking about um, kind of classic uh, rom-coms, which have been a personal favorite of mine, um, mm -hmm. and how so often the romantic lead is a thin white woman. It is so right. rare to see a fat black woman play a romantic lead um, and have a happy ending. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I just wish we had more stories of more diverse uh, bodies and uh, races and backgrounds so that, you know, kids watching the shows and the movies um, had more representation of what their lives could be. People often grow up thinking, well, if I've never seen someone who looks like me fall in love on TV, I'm not deserving of love. And that just breaks my heart, mm -hmm. you know? And the thing that w w is prevalent with me, and I've made this remark, um, is that if there were two things that I would ever would want to have in life, and there are only two, and that is, to love and be loved and to respect and be respected. And there was someone who once said in my presence, and I had to really, I felt offended by it, but uh, when they said love and respect, one doesn't have to do with the other. When in essence, it really does. Because when you can love your, when you can, because it all starts out with you. When you can learn, and I'm using that word learn, because everything we do it is learned. When you can learn to love yourself, then you can learn to love others, and others can learn to love you. And it goes the same way for respect. When you can learn to respect yourself, then others will learn to respect you, and you in turn will learn to respect others. And when we can get to that mode, acceptance will be the order of the day and I can use the words of Reggie Miller. Why can't we just get along? 
Thanks. This is Jackie. So I'll move us to a close. Um, I first want to start off by thanking everyone so much for being here. It's really such a privilege to have these conversations with you. Um, and Destiny and I are both just so glad to have been able to represent Fat Rose and to meet all of you and speak with you this evening. Um, I'll also note that we have a number of resources that we mentioned. Destiny um, shared the um, books that had and, and podcasts that had a big influence on their lives. Um, and we have that on a, a Google Doc, which I'd be glad to share with you to distribute afterwards for folks who are listening and who maybe listen to the recording. Um, so folks are welcome to take a look at that. And I'll also direct you to um, Fat Rose. We have a, an Instagram page and also a website, and you can get involved in um, our other programs and also in our Fat Mutual Aid um, programs. So um, pooling funds to support fat folks who, um, are in need, especially with medical expenses. Um, so if folks have any questions about that or about any of the content from this evening, you're welcome to send an email um, to the Fat Rose email address, which is fatrose at fatrose.org. Um, and I'll share that in the follow-up document of resources as well. So Destiny, anything to add before we sign off? That is it. I'm so happy you all came for this and I am just eternally grateful. Um, I also want to give another shout out to Anthony from BPI who made this possible for us to do this well, journey today. Well, thank you. I want to say thank you to Sheila who hosted for us, Herbie who is streaming it, Rick and Larry and the ACB Media team. If you are out there listening to this either on ACB Media or you're listening to this later as a podcast, you can send an email to either a community at acb.org or membership at blindlgbtpride.org. We can get you those, those um, follow-up resources. And if you'd like to shout out and tell Destiny and Jackie what a great job they did tonight, we'd love to pass those emails along as well. Um, Jackie, Destiny, thank you so much for bringing this to us. At some point soon, I'd like to do a part two. And um, DJ, thank you for all your participation. Everyone who unmuted, thank you. But DJ, thank you so much for being so thoughtful and introspective about your responses. Um, You're welcome. That's it. That's it for us tonight. Jackie, Destiny, thank you. Um, Sheila, Herbie, thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks, one and all. Good night.